Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Hello, I'm Andrew Doyle and welcome to Headliners, the nightly paper review show uh, that is actually interesting. Uh, Well, I would say that. Attempting to speak truth to power are two of the finest comedians available on a Tuesday night for a reasonable fee. It's Josh Howey and Steve N. Allen. And before we get on into the papers, let's have a look at the front covers tomorrow. We're going to start here with the Daily Mail and they run with cyclists may need number plates. And they could need insurance too, as Minister orders road law review. We're going to be getting to that in just a moment. The Telegraph runs with modern slavery law is biggest loophole for migrants. And RAF recruitment chief quits amid row over diversity. That's another story we will be covering. The front cover of The Guardian runs with Truss condemns British workers for lack of graft. The front cover of The Financial Times now record fall in wages signals more cost of living pain for households. And the mirror has, I'm a love cheat, I can't resist. Sounds like lyrics, that. Uh, that's Giggs. He admits he's never faithful, but he denies ever attacking women. And the front page of The Times, Sunak turns on rival over moral duty to ease bills and saddle cyclists with speed limits too, says Minister. That's a story we'll be covering. Front cover of The Express now, trust fury over EU's Brexit betrayal. And finally, The Daily Star, Bit of a confusing headline, this. Yes, no. And there's some various quotes from the ongoing Ryan Giggs trial. I think they're looking for a a vote from the public as to whether he is a cheating love rat. Uh, Anyway, those were your front pages. So we're going to begin with an exclusive from Wednesday's Guardian. I think, Josh, you've got this one, have you? I do indeed. So leaked audio uh, reveals that Liz Truss said that British workers need more graft. And uh, she, uh, she suggested that Britons lacked skill and application. Oh. Uh, I think she was talking about me specifically. Oh, yeah, well, she could have been, Ob- she? Obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've got to go, yeah, fair enough, Liz. You got me. <laughs> uh, but graft? This... What did she mean by graft? Though? They're, they're just, just not... what. Just not... They're just lazy, Come on. is what she's saying. Yeah, idlers. Well, this goes into the idlers row that happened a few years ago yes. where she, uh, a part of a book that was put out by a bunch of MPs, uh, called uh, British the worst idlers in the world. And but she didn't write that chapter, did well, she? Well, she's saying not, but they also, it was brought out like as a collective. So even though she right. She said Dominic she Raab wrote she that She said, bit. yeah, yeah. But, but there, then he went back and went, well, actually, we all agreed on all of these words. Right, OK. So, you know, uh, it's not a good look, particularly. No. Obviously, she is the massive uh, forerunner... Uh, at the moment in the election. But if you if you look at, these are the words she said, if you look at productivity, it's very, very different in London from the rest of the country. But basically, there's been a historical fact for decades. Essentially, it's partly a mindset and attitude thing. It's working culture, basically. If you go to China, it's quite different, I can assure you. And I'm thinking, yeah, but I don't want to go and be in China. No. That's not the life that we have here. But does she have a point, Steve? Insofar as I know a lot of lazy people, 
And uh, I don't, I'm not suggesting that's comedians. Good, comedians mostly. Yeah. That's the, it's the people I hang around straight with. Straight at me when you said it as well. <laughs> well, I didn't mean to imply anything, but while we're on the subject, what do you think? Um, well, I think she's trying to spin it now to make it more about productivity. In the hustings, she was challenged about it and said, "Oh, actually, I think there should be more productivity." And then said, "We need more capital investment." Well, yeah. Productivity brought about through capital investment isn't going to make people graft more. It's going to put more people out of work. Yeah. Um, and the, I listened to the leaked audio, and just before it, she was saying, "Oh, this vote talk about Brexit." saying people blame migrants, I think we need more graft. Really does make, there's no, the context is there to tell you she's calling us lazy. Yeah. Now, it will be true that there'll be some people in a nation who were born here who are idle, and you're less likely to get idle migrants because you've, you've got to make the journey, ain't you? Yeah. Um, but no, I don't think we've got a mindset. I don't think it's. I don't think we're a lazy nation. I'm, fine. I'm quite offended by what she she's said. sounding more and more like Thatcher every day. But I mean, Thatcher had this big thing about idleness, indolence, you know, and how she would never be idle. I mean, she only slept what three hours a night or something like that. She was a workaholic, and she maybe was a, she was a grafter. She was a grafter, exactly. She was a grafter. So maybe that's what that's Liz's trust. Liz trusts. Thing, yeah, and she's, not, and she's not apologising. She says she still believed that British workers were not as productive as they should be. Interesting. OK, well, we'll see how this plays out if and when she becomes leader. On to the leading story from Wednesday's Daily Mail and a topic I'm sure will stir ambivalent and rational views up and down the land. <laughs> well, as a cyclist, let me give you my take on this one. Cyclists uh, may have to get number plates and insurance uh, under new laws that are being considered sticking to speed limits. So I cycle, and even I think this is a good idea. I do think it's ridiculous. Really? There's a 20-mile-an-hour speed limit close to where I live. So as I come down the hill, that's an important factor. Yes. I can go through there and get it to flash 22 miles an hour. You've got immense gravity behind yeah, I've you. got, got my, that, that weight. Mass times acceleration <laughs> is my force. Yeah. So what, yes, so um, why shouldn't you be subject to speeding laws? Yeah. And why? also, if you hit someone, mm. that's still going to hurt. And potentially kill them, yeah. but there's loopholes, which means you couldn't be charged for the same kind of thing. That could be reviewed. I know there's going to be an administrative issue about how you manage to put number plates on bikes. Is there a streamlining mm. issue? Because they're big, aren't they, the number plates? And then yeah. won't that stop them going down the hill? Maybe like you could do the number plates like that way around. Yeah, something like that. Like Is that what you do? Surely. On a little flag, maybe, that flutters Surely in the wind. It's just a QR code or something these days. Oh, do you think that's what it is? Beep, mm. You'll hear that. But look, I think more people are cycling, which is great. Loads of roads are having 20 mile an hour speed limits. Might not be great, but you put those two together, and one of the fastest things out there are going to be cyclists. So the reason I don't like cyclists on the road is because I'm a bad driver. That's why. So they make me very nervous because I know that if I get too close, it could cause a, an accident. Mm. What, do you have any feelings on cyclists? I think it's a bit of a, a vote winner. You think? Yeah, I think it is. I think cyclists could go, OK, this could add a bit more safety and accountability. And obviously, uh, drivers get, can get, some drivers get very angry about cyclists and go, well, well, it's not fair. Cyclists, they don't have insurance. They don't pay road tax. Yeah, so everyone's like happy, in other words. Uh, sort we'll, of. We'll see. Yeah, but, the, but it'd be interesting to see if this would have, if any, impact upon increase cycling. Well, where's it coming from? Whose idea was it? I think it's the tr Transport Secretary, yeah. Right. And he's also talking about putting a new uh, law of causing death by dangerous cycling into the Transport Bill. Well, in, yeah, I mean, it which, can Absolutely, because at the moment, the maximum you get were two years. Right. So that's... It, it's fair. Well, maybe it's sensible then. OK, so Wednesday's Guardian now. Things are looking bleak. Steve? It's, this is basically the inflation story from a different angle, though. So UK wages in June fell at the fastest rate for 20 years mm. because you need to add inflation to it. And I say that because I've, I've seen loads of people talk about this through the day, saying, oh, so this means we're getting paid less when things are costing more. No, we're getting paid less 
because, because this is costing more. It. It's not a double whammy, so yeah. we don't need to cry twice as much. But um, the Office of National Statistics said the annual growth in average pay, excluding bonuses, was at 4.7 in the three months to June. Mm. But you had 9.4% inflation just absolutely drinks all that and spits it out. So yes. we're effectively getting paid less. When you go through some of the stats, the bit that I liked, according to some um, analysis by PricewaterhouseCooper, the pay of the richest 1% of workers rose by almost four times the rate of the poorest tenth. So when we're doing well as a nation, the wealth gap increases, and when we're doing badly, the wealth gap increases. So something's going very wrong. Yeah. This, isn't, this shouldn't be the way it is, rich right? Rich people getting richer. Well, it's the old story, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's always going to happen. Josh, I mean, obviously, this is just... Every day there's a story like this which just makes it seem even more depressing, bleak, and, and you know, yeah, but, uh, impossible but... to escape. Impossible escape, but also there's an interesting gap between the private sector and the public sector. Yeah. So the private sector, they're finding they're, they're, uh, they've gone up by 5.9% over the past year, and that's just train drivers alone. Yes. And uh, But that's more than three times the 1.8% for the public sector. So um, teachers, it's... people work civil service, you know, doctors... always faster to move, though. The private sector will be faster to move because it's easier to get a pay rise if you're, if you're in the private sector. Go and threaten to quit. Yeah. Well, look, uh, let's try and get some better news now. This is going on to Wednesday's Express. And your country needs you, unless you're white. Oh, yeah, this is a great... This is some... Oh, God, this is just GB news. Red meat. <laughs> <laughs> we love it here. This is what you wanted GB news oh, to be. Oh, this is... But... Come on, this is a great story. <laughs> so, essentially, they have effectively paused hiring... Uh, white male recruits because they're trying to meet what's somewhat inverted commas impossible diversity targets and because of that the head of recruitment who's the senior female officer has resigned in protest this is obviously a terrible time to do this we've got stuff going on with China we've yeah. got uh, Russia Ukraine so um, the idea that, that, that they're not just hiring the best people for the job uh, is of course ridiculous this is air, and the person in charge is Air Chief Marshal Sir Mike now, I read it as Wingston, but it's yes. Wigston because, uh, yeah. Uh, but the recruitment, they're saying that the, the critics of this policy are saying the recruitment is just the content of your character, not your sex. Or your well, sure. Skin, of course. Why not? That's what it should be. I, I mean, thought the RAF, you just wanted 2020 vision and one of those little moustaches like in Top Gun. You do. You need, and that's you, what, that would be enough. Yeah, you Whether need, you're a man or a woman, just no, come in be, with a moustache. You need to look like Biggles even if you are a woman. I think that's what they needed. But the thing about this, I remember this row going on about when they were doing diversity quotas for airline pilots in America. And you think, you just want the best person for that job, right? Let's, can we just dispel with this for now? Similarly with the RAF uh, pilots, I would have thought. What is going on, Steve? Because I do kind of think... You know, I remember a few years back when there were the BBC were advertising for internships uh, for non-whites only, and people were outraged. Uh, but now it's just the norm. We just accept that you will be discriminated in terms of your skin colour when going for jobs. That should not happen in a, in a civilised society. So diversity is a goal. It's absolutely fine. It's good. It's, it's a thing that would enrich society. The method of bringing it about is the problem, isn't it? Getting it so wrong that what you're effectively doing is no longer trying to find the best pilots... I mean, I, you know, I'm not an expert in these things, but I imagine being able to fly a plane is pretty darn important. You would have thought. That's what you do. Yeah. Um, it is surely possible to find a way that fits them both together, and yet we fall down these traps so, so quickly by not... Uh, by obsessing about the target. I mean, it's good that the RF can focus on targets, that's what we need them to, but not necessarily these ones. But, there, you know, sometimes there will be disparities, and they're not always explained, explained away 
because there is bigotry or prejudice at the heart of a system. You know, we say that in certain STEM subjects, there are more men than women, but then in certain science subjects, like veterinary science, there are far more women than men. And, you know, we just accept that, that you know, some people naturally go for different jobs, whatever. Mm. But why is there this kind of obsession with getting everything on a par? I mean, I sometimes worry that maybe we've reached a point where we're implementing diversity quotas when they're not needed. I mean, the BBC said they were going to spend £100 million to improve diversity when all of the studies prove that uh, minority groups are overrepresented in terms of the national proportion on the BBC. So that's a problem that doesn't exist that they're trying to fix with lots of taxpayers' money. Why do we do this? And they have a narrow focus about uh, the kind of diversity they're, they're thinking about. At the time, I yeah. used to work for the BBC, and I'd be sat around there as a lad from Mansfield, working-class lad, surrounded by people who know which knife and fork to use, and they were talking about avocado. Weird fruit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, they're, they're obsessing, possibly in the wrong targets or not. They do it with good intent. It's easy sure. to then judge and go, oh, they're disgraceful, these people, to do as you, as you preface this whole topic. Um, the goal is good. It's worth remembering that. But if we could find a better way of bringing yeah, it about, we'd I, solve it. I just kind of think it's a little bit patronising <laughs> to everyone, I think. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, this is Wednesday's Telegraph. And three men are going to be talking about menstruation. Doesn't get much more meta than that. So are we compounding the problem, Steve? Menstruot? <laughs> yeah. I, I told you about this before the show. I told you to look, oh. to look it up yeah. in that book I gave you with the diagrams. Um, yes. This is uh, up in uh, Scotland. This is Dundee. A council has hired someone to be this... Oh, what's the phrase that they use? This... Menstruator! Me but it's... No. Uh... <laughs> okay. Period dignity officer. That's it, yeah. And oh, yeah. It's, let's try and split the atom on this one because uh, loads of people have said nasty things. It's been called idiocy. It's been called uh, institutionalised mansplaining. So, it <laughs> would be better if this job were done by a woman. But it's fine that it's done by a man. Just to repeat, would be better if it was as a woman. I imagine more expertise in this area, but it doesn't require this level of vitriol. I, look, I, I'm sure that men genetically have no empathy, no ability to understand <laughs> what it's like to be anyone else other than themselves. But this job is primarily bringing about legislation. Oh, you couldn't possibly bring about legislation unless you actually know what it's like but to have a period. Why is it called a period dignity officer? Because it's a silly title. Most of the work that will be done by this person is bring about this new rule that they've got in Scotland, uh, free availability for period products, and to, you know, dot the I's, cross the T's, bring that about. Oh, right. How could he possibly do it unless he knows what it's like? In the same way that if my doctor doesn't currently have piles, he can keep his mouth shut. I don't know. I, well, I have a re slightly... revealing a lot there, Josh. <laughs> slightly As someone with piles. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I have a slightly different take uh, from my colleague. Uh, first of all, he's getting paid about 36, 37 grand or something. 36 grand. That's quite a lot of money. He's a former personal trainer. Uh, but he's already coming out the bat with things like he's eager to make sure that people of any gender were aware of the availability of products. That suggests to me that he's possibly, man or not, not well, particularly aware of little things called science, because as you know, there are millions of genders. You just said it yourself, man or not. That was my point. OK, well, the point is what, that he's going cat gender, what? You know, what's, we know your, what's your gender identity got to do with whether well, or not absolutely. you Basically, it? either you're a biological woman or you're not. So, or it could also be, of course, for men, you know, for stopping nosebleeds, putting in your ears. Well, you can use uh, the, yeah, those, these products for products that. For that. Uh, okay. I didn't so, know that. Uh, but also, he's, that's not just part of his role. He is also there to discuss issues around the menopause. As someone with a pers close personal part of my life, uh, with going through the menopause, let's just say the last person she would want to talk to about the menopause is Jason. Yeah, Scotland, I mean, I'm yeah. all, for, all for hiring the right person for the best person for the job, but I would have thought some level of empathy and experience might help here. 
I know nothing yeah. about these things. I, just, and I think it still circles back. I know somehow it feels like I'm falling out with you two on this one, but it would be better if a woman d did it. But the vitriol that this man's got for doing it seems misplaced. It's possible to have both. Well, maybe they shouldn't go after him particularly. Maybe the employers and the yeah. decisions that they made. Anyway, on much more familiar ground now, a bit of a relief, um, ancient African statues. You did a thesis on this, Josh, I think. One of many. Yeah. Twice. I think this was my It was third. really groundbreaking, actually. Thank you. Yeah, third really or fourth, three, I can never remember. I get them all mixed up. What's happened is the Ben and Bronzes, we've featured the story a few times, yeah. and you have also on your show, uh, they're going to be returned to uh, Nigeria. Uh, Oxbridge and Cambridge have come out and said they've got, I think they've got about 200 of these, 213. They're going to be returning them with some other objects as well. What's a new facet to the story is mm. that an American civil rights group has contacted the Charity Commission. It hasn't gone through yet even though it has been approved by Oxford and Cambridge. Yes. Uh, but they've, uh, this American civil rights group have, have, have contacted them and said, we don't think it should go back to Nigeria because they benefited from right. the slavery. The kingdom of uh, Benin made a lot of at the time, money or wealth from capturing slaves from neighboring, capturing, not slaves, capturing human beings from yes. neighboring uh, regions, uh, men, women and children and turning them to slaves and, sla and selling them to... So in other words, in this yeah. frenzy for reparations yeah. and, and re returning items to, to cultures, they've forgotten that, that they'll actually be re returning items to the descendants of slave owners, yes. which is a problem. And a lot of the, and these, 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 uh, these bronzes were actually made from that currency that was melted down. Okay. So it's literally that wealth going back to them. Yeah, Steve, do you think there needs to be a bit more historical analysis before these decisions are made? Although, if you analyse far enough, you'll find a reason not to do something. Yes. This, I, I really take, I think they've got a really interesting point, but that doesn't mean the solution is, I know, let's leave it in Oxford and Cambridge. Yeah. There's a, a great place. Well, they're not saying that. They're saying that it should be returned to the real victims, the descendants of the enslaved people who pay for them with their lives, not, their, not the slave traders' descendants. But that, then, how do you manage to work out who... You can't return these items, these couple of items, hundred and something items, to millions of people. It's difficult, isn't it? Because all, all of these people, because it's so long ago, all of these people who had once owned these items wouldn't be no longer with us. So who you return? Would it be their their sons, daughters? Is that is that the idea? Well, this is what this this uh, American group is saying. Yeah. Or at least you know, I guess whether it's maybe a special museum in where they could identify certainly where large. Uh, populations of the descendants might be right. and have a museum there. Because I'm more interested in the preservation of the items, actually. I think yeah. at this point, that's more important. That's why I think when it comes to the Parthenon marbles, for instance, uh, I think it's quite convincing that they should be returned because in the context of, of the Acropolis, it's much more makes much more sense mm. as, a, as someone who wants to that see them and enjoy them. That was my fifth degree, I think. Yes, it was. Yeah. That was I was. I thought that was a bit below par, that one. It was, the, I was there, juggling of quite, it was quite a lot going on. Some of the footnotes were yeah. not lost well. his marbles. So, lost his marbles. Well, we can't top that, so we're going to end part one. Welcome back to Headliners with me, Andrew Doyle, Josh Howie and Steve N. Allen. So Wednesday's Guardian now, and uh, what's more boring than watching paint dry? Trying to make a light-hearted topical television show about it, Josh. Oh, yes. Uh, making an advert. Uh, yes. Which is what they're doing here. So crown paints have got a lot of... Um, Complaints, sort of rhyming there. 215 complaints for an advert they have where it's a bunch of singers and it pulls back and reveals they're on a paint roller. Yes. And they're basically singing a story, in this case, of a couple meeting at an illegal rave. And. Uh, we have, I think we might have it. Oh, let's, let's, watch, let's, let's have a little look first. Now 
doll baby's coming and they don't know what it is. Hannah's hoping for a girl, Dave's just hoping that it's his. And they're happy the spare room's no longer grey. Cause there's a baby on the way. There's a baby on the way. There's a baby on the way. That's I mean, it. I find it's, it really annoying. See, oh, yeah, I'll be honest. It's, it's incredibly annoying and yeah. it seems somewhat innocuous, but the fact is that it's got 215 complaints. Watchdog are, are considering actually looking into it. The complaints are essentially, this one person says, it's absolutely, it's absolutely disgraceful casting Hannah as a woman who sleeps around. That's not in the song so at all. So the guy sang there, he sang... Um, oh, he, I see, yeah, he's, could be. She's um, excited or something and he's worried that it's not his or Actually, something. Actually, I changed it. Maybe that is... No, but I, do, I genuinely don't... I think don't, Hannah could sleep I genuinely that. don't understand why this is offensive. I genuinely don't. Someone's going to have to help me here, Steve. Why Why are there 215 complaints? Why is Jenny Eclair t tweeting about it saying, get this offensive rubbish... Even Jerry Sadowitz tweeted yeah, how he terrible was, it was. Yeah, he was upset about it. I, what, what's going firstly, on? Firstly, 215 complaints ain't that many. Oh, I think in TV terms it is, oh, yeah. I get about that every night. You do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get about that. Back yeah. in the day, we did a joke about a Brexit plate that had way more than did that. Did it? Oh, man. But uh, in comparison, for, for an advert, yeah, I guess this is quite a lot. There are mm. two complaints that people seem to have. The thing about not knowing whether it's his or not, um, someone called that everyday, everyday sexism. Does that accusation get landed against you every day? Maybe there are some questions. Uh, Jenny Eclair, though, I think is more c complaining about a line we didn't see in the advert, yeah. saying that she's uh, she didn't want to have kids and now she does. Mm. This presumption that women who don't want kids will at some stage change their mind. I mean, look, I'm sure it is annoying, but it's not a reason to ban an advert. And also, I'm sorry to say, there is truth to it. <laughs> but, I mean, no, sorry, <laughs> no, Jay. No, I'm, not saying every, I'm not saying everybody, yes, but I'm... Yes, you are. Oh, no, I'm saying <laughs> there is truth to that statement. But also, why does it matter? This is about two specific characters. Yeah. Hannah and Dave, is it? Yeah. yeah. Maybe, not even real. Maybe Hannah's a bit loose. Maybe, you know, maybe Dave didn't want the kid. Who knows? It's their story. It's their truth. Yeah. It's their lived experience. They just want some great paint for this baby's room. Why can't you have a, 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 a promiscuous character in an advert? Like, what, what's that? Are they saying that basically whenever you represent uh, a woman, it has to be a certain way. Whenever you rep represent a gay person, it has to be a certain way. They always have to be good and moral and pure and, you know. Well, because the rules that this will come up against, only a couple of years ago, they brought in rules preventing sexism in an adverts, which just mm. means you can't play to type. Because stereotypes yes. is part of the issue. So in most adverts, you'll just see whoever whoever's having the trait that you would presume is masculine, it'll be the woman in yeah, the advert. That, that really annoyed me. That, there was one advert that got banned off the back of that, and that was when there, there was an advert where there was a woman with a pram. And they said that this was dangerous because it implies that women sometimes have babies. You know, but they do. The stuff that offends me is when I see like these adverts of just rubbish dads. Oh right. my, how does this nappy work? No, I think yeah. no, you got a, you got been, a new baby. That's been banned as well. As a, yeah, yeah, well, I know, after, but but it, it seemed, but it's still a trope in films. And, but so what? And so no, no, some no, terrible I mean, dance. No, no, I know, but I'm not complaining. I'm not calling into the watchdog complaining about no. it. There are, but at the same time, I would argue maybe this is uh, you know the well, you know what it means. While that I live in, but I'm changing a lot of nappy. Well, you know yeah. what it is, right? So you know, if I see like a, a gay character who's who's stereotypical or whatever, I don't get upset or offended or anything because I don't assume that seeing that on an advert means everyone's going to think that all gay people are the same because I know because I'm I know that people are a bit smarter than that. So that's that's what the, this is really about. People who are upset about the idea that adverts basically filter down ideas into society and everyone starts thinking the way that the adverts told them to, and we know that's not true. It's just not true. Adverts don't work, is what you say. I feel like they really don't. I feel like adverts do have some power, some cultural power. They have power to the way they work is that they continually remind you of a product, and then if you need it, you buy it. You have to be predisposed to buying it in the first place. Although back in the day, the Tango adverts made lots of kids smack other kids around the side of the head. It so didn't they've got make power to them. Do... 
That was just Amazing. children that wanting was... an excuse to hit each other around the head. I know, because I was one of them. That was literally the happiest time of my life. <laughs> I don't think I've ever... <laughs> anyway, we're going to move on now. More on the fallout from the JK Rowling death threats from Wednesday's Telegraph, Steve. And I know we've covered this a couple of times, in there, but this is a new development, isn't it? Yes, this is uh, the chocolate novelist Joanne Harris, who's also the head of the... Uh, it's not the Guild, is it? It's the uh, authors. It's the support group for authors, basically. So, Society of Authors. Society yeah, of Authors. Their union. Yeah. The, it's a, the biggest, largest writers' union. Yes. We, we, need a, we need a chocolate. time. I'm, I'm from Mansfield. I can't do foreign accent. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but when you said the chocolate author, it sounded like yeah. she's an author made of chocolate. So, so I mean, I've not Googled it, but I presume not. The author um, of Chocolat. Yeah. Let's do the, the timeline. So, someone rushed to get stabbed for writing a thing. That's basically what that is. Let's yeah. remember that. So, uh, J.K. Rowling support, uh, tweets in support. Then someone replies to her tweet saying, you're next. She then tweets Twitter support saying, uh, can I get some support, please? So, so far... Twitter so... then doesn't, by the yeah. way. Then Twitter says, no, no, we're, we're just going to leave They're fine with that. Yeah, yeah, fine death, death threat's fine. That sort yeah. of death threat's fine, yeah. as long as it's towards the people we don't like, yeah, basically. Exactly. So far, so horrible. Uh, and then this Joanne Harries then does a Twitter poll to fellow author, asking fellow authors, have you ever received a death threat, credible or otherwise? The options were yes, hell yes, no, never, or show me, damn it. Which is taking this death threat very lightly. And I very think, it's, at yeah, the yeah. very least, it's poor form to take someone else's death threat lightly. Definitely is, um, but she denied it thereafter, and then changed it to have different a different poll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, I mean, at the same time though, people are then saying she should lose work because of this tweet. Well, if you don't like cancel culture, you have to it, not like it when it's no, Steve. Uh, I don't. Your, I don't think it's necessarily that she's the uh, manager that she's in charge of the Society of Authors, and her job is to protect and defend authors. Which and, she hasn't done. Which and she so hasn't therefore, done, which this is denied doing effectively. Yeah, but I think this is less cancel culture, more she's just really bad at her job, isn't it? No, because, it's bad at her job when it doesn't fit her ideology. Yeah, I mean, look, she has a, a track record of tweeting out really ideologically driven and skewed uh, perspectives on this particular issue. And, you know, there have been statements here from members of the management committee at the Society of Authors since you know, 2020, 2021, saying, can we put out a statement in solidarity with J.K. Rowling, who has enough death threats, as she said, to paper her house with them? It's continual. It's, it's, a, big, it's a big house. It's She's, a massive yeah, house. Huge house. But this is the point. Like, this is one of the most successful novelists of our time mm -hmm. who is subject to all sorts of threats. The Society of Authors should be putting out a, a, a They should have done it two years ago. Should have done it ages ago. So, you know, it's less about cancelling someone for her opinions and more that the position she holds. So that what I think what I think I'm hearing is she should lose the job for not doing it well with the absence of supportive tweets rather than should be punished for a tweet that we don't like by losing the work. I think there is a distinction there. Right. One of them is you're not good at your job, you shouldn't have your job, rather than, oh, I don't like the tone of your tweet, you should be fine. I agree with you. And, and J.K. Rowling called her, called her out also for not being good at her job. But the two other authors, Rachel Rooney and Gillian, uh, Gillian Phillip, both also were not offend, uh, defended by um, the, the Society of Authors, yeah. again, because of their views on gender ideology. Well, this, the Gillian Phillip case is very interesting because she actually tweeted at the Society of Authors to remind them of their own, the constitution on their website, which talks about the importance of defending the freedom of speech of their authors, and she was a member, and when she pointed that, this out, they blocked her. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, this is not... So, basically, a bunch of authors are now quitting. Some are saying and saying that they're going to fight the board, basically, to get 
this woman to lose her job because she's not very good at it. Yeah. That's pretty much the gist of the story. I just want to add a slight, this is in the Telegraph, the version we're reading. I'd like, this was actually pointed out by someone called Ian Leslie on Twitter, but he pointed out the uh, Guardian's version of this. Their example of transphobia from JK Rowling, and I'd just like to read this out. Amazing. This is from her thing, they said, I don't know if you saw this. She said, so she, this is their quoting her. If sex isn't real, the live reality of women globally is erased. And then they wrote, have hurt many people and whatever. So that's the best. So they quoted that as an example of as, transphobia. As what, what? As their best example of, you know, like when people say she's trans, J.K. Rowling's transphobic. Yeah. And then everybody goes, well, just name me one thing that's transphobic yeah. that she's ever done. And then they never do. So that's the they, best they But can this is with. their idea of like, so if sex isn't real, the live reality of women globally is erased have hurt many people around the world, trans people around okay. the world as well. So, in other so that's words, the best that the, the Guardian could do. In other words, they, they can't find anything no, not at all. to quote that's... because it doesn't exist. Yes. Simple. Right, OK, we're going to move on now to Wednesday's Times next. And Scotland is famed for harbouring crazy views throughout the ages. Bagpipes, the idea that golf is a worthwhile sport, witchcraft, and now this, biology. Biology. Scary, scary science. What's going on? So, um, with the census uh, earlier this year, um, there was a movement in, in, the, in the England and Wales, but also in Scotland, to essentially erase sex as a, as a class. They were essentially saying that you could put in whatever sex you felt like, your self-ID, yes. uh, onto the census itself. And a lot of people immediately said, wait a minute, that will have a massive impact because we're not going to have the actual, actual accurate numbers for the different biological sexes, and that affects the services. And there's course, bigger there's all, ramifications. All sorts of reasons why you need So that, that in, in the UK, uh, sorry, in, the, in England and Wales, this was, uh, I believe it was, did it go to court? Or it was something stopped it, and they changed, they changed the census to make it what sex you were born as. Yeah. That didn't go through. There was a thing in court in Scotland, but it actually, in the end, didn't go through. Yeah. Um, and so what happened instead is that hundreds of respondents uh, in the bit where it said faith and stuff, they said, I uh, I believe in biology. That's yeah. my belief system. And it is a way, a form of protest. They still did the census, but this was their way of um, protesting against the government's use of this. And they're hoping to use it as like historical documents in hundreds of years well, time to say, look, we stood up at this point. It does seem very much like when people are protesting against the self-ID uh, at, at Holyrood, at the Scottish Parliament, uh, that Nicola Sturgeon's SNP are just ignoring them. And, and yeah. so this is their way of yeah. trying to make their voices heard in some way. What do you think, Steve? I'm a data kind of guy. It seems pointless to, to have less data. Why yeah. would you not want all of this stuff recorded? Because you had the options, didn't you? You give your sex as determined at birth and other information was in there as well. So surely, he says, knowing this is going to be the kind of sentence that is uh, foolish, everyone would be happy. Well, everyone would be happy if you, if you retained biological sex as a category on the census and then maybe you added an optional, mm. do you have a gender identity? Because most people don't have a gender identity, but do you have one? And if so, what is it? Mm. Which is like the bit where it says, what religion are you? Right? And that would be fine. Why not put that on as extra? But if you, if you take the gender categorization instead of the biological sex Oh, yeah, that's what I mean. I'm, I'm that, data. Why would you delete information to because, have different information? Because activists say that that's very offensive because if you're asking them for their biological sex, you're denying their lived reality or lived experience of being a different gender because they see that, they see that gender identity should supersede biological sex, not be seen in tandem with it. Even if, even if you took that as a point, something could supersede a secondary piece of information and they could both be on the form. I think they could both mm. be on the form. Yeah, I well, think that's the resolution. I'm a data kind of guy, but that's he's my favourite character in Next Generation. <laughs> that's right. <laughs>
Welcome back to Headliners. My name is still Andrew Doyle. His name is still Josh Harry. And just checking, still Steve N. Allen? Might as well be. There we go. We're going to crack on with a bit of trepidation now. We're going to go to Wednesday's Mail and a topic I quite honestly know very little about. And frankly, I don't want to particularly. But Steve, what is it? Uh, have you heard the phrase designer vagina? I have now. Yeah. And obviously there's going to be a scale. One end, Gucci. Other end, it's George Asda. But it's my nickname in, in school. This, uh, <laughs> the number of surgeries related to this have doubled in a year because of what they said here, wearing ultra-tight sports leggings. I misunderstood that sentence and I thought, well, if these ultra-tight sport leggings are that wearing, pick something else. Mm. But well, apparently it's because they show quite a lot. And the, uh, the, the operation they have is called labiaplasty. Sounds right. like something you get at Greg's, but it can cost up to four grand. And apparently tight clothing basically draws attention to the kind of things you can see, so more people are having surgery. I, my take on this is I believe that. I'm going to draw a also... diagram for our viewers. No. Now, not like that, you Here we go. <laughs> are you ready? You're never going to get to OK, one, two, three. Like no, no, no. I mean, look, I, no, I, I think they're right about the leggings, but it's also showing pictures of yourself on social media. If uh, the only people who saw you in gym wear were the people in the gym, you wouldn't care. Isn't there a broader problem here, though, of particularly younger women uh, thinking that they have to change their anatomy, thinking that they have to get surgery because they, you know, that there's a kind of pressure on women to feel that they look perfect or what, what people think Well, the, this idea that people in pornography has been, has been yeah. part of it. So the, I've never heard... That seems to be the, what I've heard before when this subject has been raised. Yes. So it is interesting to hear this other um, sort of reason put forward by... I'm wondering, as this person is, that's his job, Dr John Skivo-Philax. Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know, You've no idea. Mr. Even he doesn't pronounce it like that. Anyway, Dr. Double Vagina. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, his, that's his thing. Uh, is uh, designer vagina. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I'm wondering if that's him putting forward this narrative. Go, hey, look, it's, there's another reason. There's fascia. It's not just that. It's also... There's a lot of money well, to be made. That would be why there's been an increase in a year. I mean, yeah. a year ago, before these stats doubled, people still had the same pressures to do with porn. I think he's saying this is uh, a reason for the increase. He also said that uh, the women experience pain, discomfort and general chafing. So imagine what it's like for us men. At my age, I'm getting sore patches near my knees. Right, on that image, we're going to move on to the mail. And uh, this, is a, this is a question mm. I'd be very interested to know the answer to. The apocalyptic one. Yes, Gosh. yeah, I know. This is one of your, one of your sort of pet, pet subjects. It, uh, it is, absolutely. <laughs> so if you want to survive a nuclear war, they're saying go to Argentina, go to um, Australia, or actually uh, some African countries as well. Why Argentina? It's because they have a lot of corned beef. It's no, it's because, <laughs> and this, there's a few interesting things about this article. Um, traditionally, when they've talked about nuclear war, it's all like, who's going to die in the bombs? Yes. They've actually now used models to, to, to sort of extrapolate the long-term effects in terms of agriculture ah. to work out. So we're going to pretty much eat all those animals straight away. And then how, how is nuclear winter and the blocking of the sun, all that stuff, how is that going to affect food shortages. Okay. So the idea is that those countries, Argentina and Australia, they already have pretty sturdy crops who could sort of get through that time, yes. whereas the rest of the world would suffer. The other interesting thing is that um, even like a minor nuclear incident <laughs> between like Pakistan and India, that could cost two billion lives more than the initial bomb because that would have this massive impact on the local agriculture, which would affect the rest of the world. I think I'm just going to take my chances and stay put. 
I think. What do you uh, think? You, were, uh, you would be eaten in a month. The well, idea that you would change your life and go and live in a place just in case a nuclear war happens. Right. Also, did their modelling include what happens when everyone else reads this and in the event of a nuclear war, heads there too? And then you're all going to be competing for the same resources. Yeah. Take me out in the first blast. I mean, the thing is, if it did happen and, and you know, it would, be, it would be like the films where everyone's sort of fighting mm. over, like, a can of beans and, you know, chopping each other up with machetes and that kind of thing. That would be, and yeah. I wouldn't last... No. I'll be honest. No, I don't think you would. But uh, <laughs> the, the other thing that I think, there's two things that are interesting. One is we are already seeing how precarious world events affect uh, different uh, agricultural things in terms of Ukraine and what that's done to uh, wheat prices, oil and things like that. Yes. Not just, I mean, oil like seed oil. And the other thing is that they're saying that this is actually a deterrent for sort of uh, people coming along and just taking a bomb and terrorists blowing up things because it would actually kill their own country because their country would stop. Well, look, this is all very gloomy. Let's move on to something a little yes. bit happier. More... Re meat reduction. Oh, you're uh, going like to this. You're gonna have to explain that, actually, because that, yeah. that sounds dodgy. Imagine a world where there's no nuclear fallout. We're still running out of food. Oh, isn't it great? The only way to have sustainable land use in this country is to avoid ecological breakdown, to vastly reduce the consumption of meat or dairy. No! This is when I'd be willing to eat those insects they promised would solve the thing. Uh, it's Henry Dimbleby who said that there was be... Uh, we need to... Uh, improve the efficiency of land use. Try okay. to grow an animal on it. It's mm. not very efficient in comparison to just growing veg because you grow plants to feed to the animal to then yes, give of us course. the protein. Currently, 85% of agricultural land in England is used for grazing animals, cows and uh, such. Uh, he says that we should reduce it, but by 30%, which actually, by the time I got to this point of the story, I was more worried it was going to be no meat at all. Mm. Um, but the other thing is, though, some of the land that you grow grass on, you can't just eat the direct thing yourself. I can't eat grass. My appendix is not what it used to be. Ah. So <laughs> it's good to feed it to an animal that can process it and then we eat the animal. Yeah, but isn't it the case that we in our society eat too much meat? Oh. I mean, you know, it's not good for us. I know we're omnivores, not me, I'm a herbivore, but most people are omnivores and... and uh, Globally speaking, it's quite unusual the amount of eat, meat that we consume, isn't it? So, uh, I mean, at this point in our history, absolutely. Uh, so, the interesting thing is, I think, like they're talking about the salt and sh the salt and sugar tax. Now, yes. actually, they've been quite popular, and they seem to already maybe have been having a, a bit of an impact. Yes. So, whether we would have, he's saying, no, I'm not saying we'd have a meat tax or anything, yes. but that he's talking about a mix of incentives and penalties. So exactly what those would be yes. is easy. There is this idea that already people are looking at alternative to meat products anyway. Yes. Well, they are. I mean, there's the, the plant-based things are absolutely everywhere. Yeah. They're, Whether they're, they're supposedly increasing, but we'll see if that's really going to make a real dent in right. meat. Well, Wednesday's Mail next, and an article that will totally derail my dietary plans, Josh. Yeah, so this whole article is basically all about all these foods that we thought were good yeah. and not as good as we thought, and all these... But they keep things. doing this. Yeah, Every few years they say, the thing we told you to have a few years ago, you can't yeah. have anymore. Well, this is, this is US researchers, so they're probably trying to justify their big fatty diets. Uh, <laughs> Tufts University in Boston. Yeah, because and they're so, saying ice cream's good. Yeah, so this, well, this is the thing. So when you look at, they've got this whole thing and they've got all these different studies. Rice vs fries, right? And actually, it turns out that fries have eight times more. They've sort of allocated a point system according to nutrition, not just the traditional things of ingredients and additives and protein. They've yeah. put all these other factors together. Yes. So actually, when it goes rice vs fries, you'd go, obviously, rice wins. No, it's fries that win and up to eight times more having these like points on their fit point to 50. But here's the caveat. That's white rice because it takes off the exterior shell right. that's got all the nutrients in it. So every different thing here is actually 
like got this caveat. So a granola bar versus an ice cream cone, you'd think it would be the granola bar, but they go, no, it's the ice cream cone. No, the problem it's... with this system here, right, is that yeah. they're, they're deliberately putting it in binaries, right? Yeah. So if you're a layman and you read this and you're like, oh, ice cream wins, I can eat as much ice cream as I but like. It's, not. it's ice cream and nuts. Yeah, so every, it, yeah. every time is there's the little thing that actually changes what you traditionally think. It's like pancakes or whatever. It's like, oh, it's wholemeal pancakes. Well, so Steve, you're a scientist, so you'll be able to, because someone told me actually that ice cream, because it's so cold, you burn more calories. <laughs> I love that one. Because, yeah. because it, your stomach is dealing with the, 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 yeah. the chill. Well, true, um, but an actual calorie, not the thing we talk about. So the number of calories in food are actually kcal, so it's 1,000 calories. Right. So the actual one calorie, which is barely anything, is the amount of energy required to make one gram of water one degree Celsius warmer. So to warm up a little bit of you by a few degrees Celsius. So yeah, when I went on my all Vianetta diet, that's why it didn't work. Not going to work, nowhere near. Oh. What I love about this is it's effectively top trumps. You get two foods and try and work mm. out in what way is A better than B. Yeah. And the other reason this works is because people love counterintuitive stuff. There's more caffeine in tea than coffee. Might not even be true, but you love it because it sounds like it's surprising and you're clever. So you go through all of this go, oh, McDonald's pancakes are healthier than an omelette. Yeah. Well, oh, can I just say one more yes, thing about you can, it? Josh. Look, you know I don't like to sort of make accusations. I don't like to bring up anti-Semitism very much. No. But they have in here they have put a bagel at just one point. Ba bagels are full of calories, aren't they? Because they're very sort of packed. Well, it's not just about the. Anyway, I'm just saying. I read that and I got deeply. Offended. You think that was an anti-Semitic? I don't know. Anti-Semitic dog I, whistle. I, I'm just saying. Perhaps we need to have a little contact, have a little chat with them. Yeah, microaggressions galore. Yeah. Anyway, on to Wednesday's Telegraph next. And who better to discuss this one than a man sitting next to the GB News <laughs> resident dieter? <laughs> so, Steve, this is for you. It's an article all about intermittent fasting. Why do we need the word intermittent? Because if you're not fasting inter intermittently, you're starving. Surely to goodness. But anyway, they've looked at it. They've, there's loads of research on it, and this article kind of reviews some of it and, and finds that it's generally good. I actually read Michael Mosley's 5-2 diet a couple of years ago, sat there just eating you, while I was doing it. You read the book? Yeah. Okay. I was fascinated by the science in it, because actually, if you forget about the, the, the preachy side of the diety bit, the science is amazing. The fact that it changes your body chemistry, there are some growth factors, um, which is like a hormone that's linked to cancer, which is drastically reduced as long as you don't fast and have tons of protein. So it works. Fascinating stuff. Is what you're saying. Well, I mean, yes, it works, but also not eating as much works. And that is what it is. It yeah. also brings about things that suppress appetite, which, help, which makes it easier to achieve yeah. eating less. But, so, yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, they've done lots of research. The research was done on the men. This is the only thing I would throw in there. It's one of these things where historically research tends to be done on men, so it might not be... Oh, we're more, we don't know you know, we, we, who cares about that? The, and also, like, I, I love the question. Yeah. The question is, does fasting make you live longer? It does for mice. There's a bit in the article that says this, uh, this researcher who's been studying fasting for over 100 years. Wow, I guess it's uh, helped them, hasn't it? Yeah. Well, Josh, you, I mean, you're the expert dieter. Big, big advocate here. Yeah, it's saying that it could... Fasting, first of all, can add 10 to 15 years, is what it's suggested. Yeah. Yes, but it's more than just eating less. The idea is that the fasting kickstarts your system. So that's what they're talking about. It. She's saying it creates a cascade of elimination and repair functions, um, and it leads to body cells rejuvenating themselves. Right. And whatever. And I could see... And also it talks about how our bodies are naturally equipped to, to for a switch between eating and fasting, which is the way they would happen uh, in olden times yes. to our genes. So we're actually, this is good for our body to give, normally we just grab carbs, we can eat, we have access to food at all yes. times. Whereas if we go back to the olden ways, it would be like, hey, men, the olden like, times, the olden times, <laughs> 150 years ago, uh, <laughs> 
it's actually better for our bodies. Okay. I love the fact that you mentioned rejuvenation. In the book, the technical term is autophage, where a cell eats itself. Mm. But that sounds like or cannibalism, yeah. weirdly. Look. All right, let's move on from the lack of food to the lack of alcohol among Gen Z. So this is from Wednesday's Mail, Josh. Yeah, these big bunch of losers. <laughs> <laughs> they're not getting they're, drunk. They're not getting the drunk. younger generation. But they're still doing drugs. Woohoo! <laughs> good for you. Uh, which is good for my bank balance. Anyway, no, uh, it's just a... We do not, <laughs> <laughs> do not support <laughs> taking recreational drugs. I've never taken any drugs. I genuinely haven't. Um, let's not get into that whole thing. <laughs> anyway, all tried a cigarette. Yeah, a quarter of Gen Zers are, are now teetotal. Uh, yes. That's the same. Uh, and, but this, this is what, someone makes this then a slightly tenuous connection, I would argue. Professor Henry Yeomans is sort of saying that the... God, of course, he's a historical criminologist, whatever that is. Uh, the individualization transforms public problems from climate change to economic precarity. I don't know. He's basically linking not drinking with people's mental health issues and arguing that they're almost transferring that, yeah. that, that onto that. It's a little bit what? weird. Who I is this guy? He's just some bloke. He's a <laughs> bloody historical criminologist. That was my eighth or ninth degree. But it did find that it finishes this article with saying that millennials and Gen Z workers are reporting the highest rates of burnout, 59% and 58%. Right. Exactly, you need a drink to get it's through just life. just a bunch of whips. You've got to drink through life. I mean, like, so here it says, this is what annoys me, is when it says that the, the reason why Gen Zers say they don't drink is because they want to make the world a better place. That's not true, though, is it? <laughs> I, I actually think they totally miss out on some really big parts of this equation. They drink less because there's less pressure to drink. Right. I, mean, I, I went through like nine years of not drinking and man alive, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Not that not drinking, that was fine. I don't really, I, I moved from a different, I used to drink a lot in my 20s and kind of, I'd achieved all I needed to do at, yeah. at drinking. But you try and not drink around other Gen Xs. Yeah. And it's a lot, go on, have one, oh, pressure. If you don't have that around you, you just then don't drink. No. Okay, well, let's move on now onto Wednesday's Telegraph. And do apologies have shelf lives, Steve? Yeah, well, the Oscars think so. They've apologised to Sasheen Littlefeather uh, 50 years after she was booed off stage. They've apologised for the unjustified abuse that she endured. Instead of going... Marlon Brando won an award. Instead of going on, uh, she went on to speak about the depiction of Native Americans in cinema. Yes. Really excellent way of getting a point across, other than the audience didn't like well, John Wayne backstage apparently didn't like it. Of course he didn't. Yeah. But his entire career is playing the cowboy and yeah, that's the end of that the Indians, that's his yeah, thing. yeah, basically. But um, she was booed. She, you know, she received uh, abuse. Wasn't slapped by Will Smith, just for context. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they've now apologised. They're inviting her along to have this evening of conversation, healing and celebration. So it feels good. I mean, I can see you could make an argument that it's pointless, but also... The Oscars are pointless. Yeah, they Everything really are. about this is pointless, so you might as well have a pointless apology. I mean, I, I watched the clip just to re refresh my memory, and there was a bit of booing, but there wasn't yeah. much booing, actually. There no. was more applause, I thought. Yeah, it was a mixed thing, but, you know, the Oscars, it's all about reverential behaviour. Yeah, it's all how wonderful Hollywood everybody is. Else. So it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't a highlight. But uh, if anybody's interested, at the moment, there's the offer, which is all about the making of The Godfather, which is what Brando Oh, wants. is that good? It's brilliant. Okay. It's really good. It's really, so, so it's a 10 part series. Should I say what's on? It's a competitor's I channel. I, I would actually really like to see that. It's very good. We're going to move on now to this next one from Wednesday's Daily Star. Uh, and th this is an odd one about snakes. Josh, what's all this about? Yes, a man, Alan Pan, has made a robot to let or to help snakes to walk. And I'm just glad that finally someone's Can, done it. Do we have the clip? Can we see what's going on? There's here? a clip. I don't know. Let's, a clip. let's have a look. So basically, <laughs> this man thinks that snakes deserve to have their legs back. Yeah, they lost and, about and 150 so, oh, 
Yeah, so here we go. So the, when did they lose their legs? 150 million years ago, uh, they lost their legs. Before then, they were called lizards. Uh, you're wrong, Josh. They actually lost their legs according to Genesis chapter 3 because uh, they fed the <laughs> apple to Eve and God took the legs uh, off. Forgot. And said so you were going to crawl really and eat that dust. One. And look, so now it's a lizard. Look, it's literally transformed. And the thing is, the, the snake is not actually operating those uh, legs. Oh, is that not? Oh, well, then what's the point of yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. He's just made a tube and he's put some legs on it and he's now sort of... That snake must be so confused right now. Yeah. Well, I think it's also probably, it's like a cab for snakes. It's almost like he, he probably senses, oh, I, I've got something here that my ancestors used to have and I don't know what to do with it. Yeah, Is that like, right? Yeah, like when hamsters uh, back in the olden days uh, used to have a sphere around them. We recreated that for them too, didn't we? Um, what an absolute waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just as pointless. It's fine when you're doing it for a dashum that's broke its back. I yes. love seeing those pictures. Oh, They're yeah, no, that makes time. sense. Yeah. Well, look, we've just, just got time to go on to Wednesday's Metro and uh, funeral's about to get a bit mental, Steve. Uh, yes, the funeral story. Here we are. This is um, a granny did a Q&A from beyond the grave because an AI was trained to answer for her, which is horrible, it's ghoulish, but it's a lot better than going to see a psychic. Um, <laughs> and this uh, Mariana Smith, 87, had recorded hours worth of details. The AI analysed it so you could... Talked. Why would you want to do that? I mean, I think the thing, it's we're all obviously well-intentioned because people miss their family, but doesn't it feel a bit creepy? Well, this was actually, this technology has been previously used to preserve the stories of Holocaust survivors. So it's quite interesting. So, like, you would ask a question. If you don't, if you don't have the right answer, they wouldn't say it to you. But I would like to say there's a brilliant other film called My Life. Yes. Which is all exactly as someone's dying and they record this whole thing. It's very emotional. And yeah. you think, actually, if I, I you want to give those answers. Yeah, but then you might start saying things that were true that you didn't want your family kids, to know. Do not watch me on this show. Yeah. Everything I've said about you is a lie. <laughs> well, that, that's all we've got time for. Thanks very much to my panellists, Josh and Steve. Join me tomorrow where I will be joined by Nick Dixon uh, and Leo Kurse at 11 o'clock for headliners. We're going to be going through the next day's papers as per usual. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring. 